0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to an exciting
1: episode. I am super pumped today to be featuring a, I, I, I guess I'll call you a serial entrepreneur at this part, <laughs> at this point, and uh, a, a, a product that is actually kind of near and dear to my heart that I'm really excited about to, to talk about. Uh, but also, I think a product that not only you know, helps people, but can change lives, do really interesting things, all from a very simple, idea. And we all love that. So I'm super excited to feature Alex Neist, who's the founder of Hostage Tape. Alex, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Love for you to just kick off and and tell everybody a little bit about Hostage Tape.
0: Yeah, you got it. So so Hostage Tape is actually still pretty early. We launched Hostage Tape Last March, so we've only been around just over a year, but we've we've really taken off. Now, as Samir mentioned earlier, I am a serial entrepreneur, so this is my second startup. So my first startup uh, was a sports video analytics company. As you can tell behind me, I'm quite the sports guy. I was actually a football player growing up, and so I bootstrapped and ran a sports video analytics company for about 16 years, and then we got acquired, so I went through the acquisition, got acquired, and then as I was getting to the end of my vesting period with that company, I decided, what what am I going to do next? Because as, as every entrepreneur always thinks about, is once you start something and then you sell it, it's on to the next thing because we love building things, right? So it was, what do I want to build? And the things that I like to build and things that I like to be behind are things that are very personal to me things that I'm very passionate about. And so when I it's started kind of
1: businesses to build,
0: it's, then it doesn't feel like a job, right? Exactly. You're, I don't work every day. Now I get to do what I love every day, right? Building something that I'm, I'm really passionate about. So the, so the company was really, uh, it was built out of, uh, really one of the most difficult times of my life. Uh, ironically, I mean, I think a lot of times great things, great men are built out of some of their worst moments, some of the worst things that happen to them. And I actually went through a divorce. So that divorce was really brought on by the fact that my wife and I, we just, we started to grow apart because I was a huge snorer, snored so bad that she couldn't sleep in the same room as me. And so that went on for a period of five, six years in our relationship. And it Anybody who knows this knows that it just kills the intimacy. It kills everything with the relationship. Many people start sleeping in separate bedrooms, which we did. And, and then just that resentment builds and builds and builds. And then eventually we just be separated and, and then we got divorced and it was a pretty, it was a pretty rough divorce. It wasn't good for the kids uh, and all the, those things that happened. And so it was during that time when we were apart that I had that self-reflection period that most men do of, all right, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to improve myself, to work on myself, to take this experience, to become a better man, to become a better partner, to become a better father and how my health was something I really wanted to work on, which is ironic because I was such a high level athlete my whole life that once that ended for me, I kind of didn't know what to do. And so then my dad bod set in, I wasn't really taking care of myself and I'd gained a bunch of weight. So I knew, okay, there's gotta be something that I can do to fix my snoring. Like this can't be normal. Right? So I did the thing that most people do. You go online, you go on Amazon and you start looking for snoring solutions, things that you can, you can buy that might help. And I came across a whole bunch of different things, but one of them in particular was a, it was a mouth guard that you buy it, you mold it, you burn your mouth trying to make it, but then you put it in, you use it, and it's this huge thing that was supposed to keep your jaw forward and it hurt like hell and it did not work very well for me. And really it just caused me to drool all over the place. So it didn't work and I'm thinking, okay, what there's gotta be something else, right? So I was Googling around and looking at some different things and I, I found this article, it was written by James Nestor and James Nestor is most well known for a best-selling book that he wrote. And this article was pulled from that book and it talked about an experiment that they did it was a 30 day experiment where they went to Stanford medical center. Okay. And he went in and the the experiment was they were going to plug their nose for 30 days. And then they were going to record, the doctors were going to record scientifically what was going on as well as anecdotally how they felt. They stopped 10 days in because they developed snoring, sleep apnea, their blood toxicity got so bad they had to stop the experiment. So 10 days in, they stopped the experiment. And then to kickstart themselves back into getting healthy again, they tape their mouth shut. And within a few days they were healthy and everything, all the issues they had, they all went away. And so that was when at least James, uh, in the experiment really connected the dots of mouth breathing is really awful. And here's a great experiment that we did at Stanford medical center that really backed up. Wow. Okay. There's way more to this than I think we realized. And for me, the light bulb went off and I went mouth breathing. Really? How am I a 40 year old high level athlete my whole life? I'd never had a coach ever teach us or train us that we should be keeping our mouth shut and breathing through our nose in most everything that we're doing. I never had one. Now, Certainly I was a football player. So probably a lot different than being trained as a track or cross country runner, you know, cause there's stories of the, uh, Coaches in the in the 30s and 40s and 50s, they used to put water in their runners' mouths and have them run around the track and then spit the water out when they were done to enforce, you know, them breathing through their nose. So I couldn't believe that I'd never heard of this before. So I eagerly went on Amazon. I didn't have any idea what to buy, but I just bought some cheap medical tape, right? You don't know what to get. You don't know how much to get. So I got it. And... I eagerly put it on, didn't, again, know how much to put on, but I did it. It was really uncomfortable. Didn't really feel great. And like most people, when you're putting something on your mouth, I was nervous because you wonder, okay, am I going to not wake up if I put <laughs> tape on my mouth? And that's a common fear. It's a common sure. feeling that yeah. everybody has doing this yep. for the first time and it's normal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. I put it on and went to bed and I woke up. I felt like a teenager. I could not believe how amazing I felt the next day. And, and then it was at that moment I thought, okay, being the entrepreneur that I am, there's something here. And that moment was actually probably two years prior to when we actually launched the product. So it was, it really just took two years to finally start to flush out. Should we do it? Shouldn't we do it? I don't know. But I knew that there was something there. My gut just told me that there was something here that, okay, if we could just take this concept and actually make it interesting, create a really interesting brand around it that captures people's attention, causes them to have a conversation about it. They'd be way more likely to buy it because look, you can certainly take a lot of, a lot of products, create a cool brand, a cool experience around it that makes it more interesting, that actually connects with people. And buying a roll of 3M tape isn't inspiring for most people, especially (laughs) most men. And so plus two, there was, there was a whole bunch of product issues with what's out there that we thought, all right, we can do this better. Not only can we create an amazing brand, but let's actually make a better product that people want to wear. Because when you, when you put 3M tape on, yeah, it's cheap, right? We get it. It's super cheap. You get it for a few bucks. Um, but certainly when you when you buy enough of it over time, it adds up. So we knew, though, that in order for the product to be great, we had to create a great product that solved a couple of key issues that regular mouth tape didn't do very well. And one of them being facial hair. You know, yep. you've got quite a bit of facial hair like most men. Yep. So wearing regular tape doesn't always work too well, right? Yep. For most people, it does not work the greatest. That's one of the biggest complaints you'll hear men with facial hair say, "I can't, I can't tape my mouth, man. None of that stuff works very well." And then the other issue was just having a strong jaw. So we needed something that was strong enough that actually holds. That you'll hear a lot of stories of people who go on Amazon and they'll, "Oh, I found some mouth tape, like for five bucks for." 30 90 strips like yeah but how did it go oh yeah i tried it and i i woke up i don't know where it was it was like on my (laughs) shoulder or like somewhere did i eat it i don't know where it went right so that stuff the cheap stuff just doesn't really hold very well and so i knew all right it's got to be comfortable and it's got to be strong and so then we developed the strongest comfortable mouth tape on the planet so it was uh then at that point where I, I actually have a co-founder, my co-founder's name is Ben. And I knew that when I started this company, a key to this was content. In this <laughs> new age of social media, everything is around. Everything's about content, being able to create content. And really kind of, I've always I've always loved how Gary V talks about content creation. And I always wanted to really lean into that idea of creating all these pieces of content, use that Gary V method distribute stuff out and use it that way and just create things that people wanted to watch rather than your traditional types of media that were at. So yep. I knew that my company is going to be a media company. And I wanted to have a partner who was actually a media guy. And so the, so Ben was actually our, he was our, um, he did all of our, our logos and everything for the uh our graphic designer for our previous company and so i'm like ben i got an idea for you it's gonna sound crazy but let's talk about it it's like all right so we got on a zoom and and i said all right so <laughs> my idea is tape, and he goes dude. i knew it was coming <laughs> he goes, dude I seriously have been researching this myself right now. I just ordered some off Amazon. I'm looking into this too. And it was like wow. the universe aligned. We were both into this concept of mouth taping and trying to research it and understand it better, and knew that it was actually helping us. Mm-hmm. And because we'd had a relationship for the last, you know, 15 years, I just knew the universe was telling me like, this was it. (laughs) And so I said, okay, it's going to get even crazier. You know what I want to call it? I want to call it hostage tape. He was like, awesome. And he whipped up our logo and he came up with all of our branding and everything. And, uh, that was kind of the, uh, the starting point of the brand because the, the idea behind the branding of it, it's very polarizing. And it's very, I was inspired by liquid death. I love how liquid death took that idea of their kind of anti-marketing, right? Yep. In the opposite direction. Totally normal products.
1: And yeah, totally. Let's, let's build a community
0: around yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so we knew that, all right, we're going to, we're going to create a brand that was so out there and so different. That's going to get your attention. It's going to get people to stop and remember us. But there's actually a reason behind it, Mm -hmm. So hostage tape has a double-sided meaning to it. One of them is the obvious. So anybody around me at the time when I was mouth taping, before I would do it at night, I would say, hey, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to put tape on my mouth. It's going to look like I'm being held hostage, so don't (laughs) worry. They're like, okay, because anybody that's ever seen you mouth tape, they think you're crazy. They think, yeah, they
1: think you're crazy. Even if you, even when you tell them, it's like, they don't, you know, they're kind of like, what, what? And the the immediate reaction is it's going to be so constricting and all of these,
0: right. They're like, dude, are you going to wake up? Are you going to die? Like, that just sounds stupid. Like most people don't, we don't, especially in Western society, we don't really understand why it's important to be breathing out of our nose compared to our mouth. So that was part of it. The other side of the coin was that we wanted to tap into the emotion that people felt. People feel held hostage by either poor sleep or their partner. So we Mm. wanted to help people stop feeling held hostage by bad sleep. Right? So it's that double side to it that some people miss. Some people know it, see it right away and they love it and that's okay. Right? I would rather some people viscerally hate it. Like that's fine. Then our brand's not for you that you can go that way. And that's cool. But for the people who love it, they love it. They love this direction. We've gone with it because it's fun. It's interesting. It's different. Yep. And it's a cool buying experience.
1: Yeah, no, I I love it. Taking the, yeah, simple, concept you're not it's nothing reinventing the wheel right you're you're not coming up with this brand new thing that you know in theory doesn't exist right but then you're you're doing it for a noble cause right for your own sanity and your own relationship and but then on the other hand yeah doing it in a way where yeah thinking about the marketing thinking about the brand almost first which a lot of people miss is very secondary, right? They maybe they think you have the product first and the brand kind of comes after. I mean, it's really, really smart. I, I, I like the way that that you're doing that. And, uh, and I, and I want to get into some of the ad stuff and a few things, yeah. right? Because I think you're doing a lot of unique things, but, um, I, I didn't tell you before we hit record, but I grew up with really bad asthma, just really oh, bad. Okay. Like I was on steroids, the whole thing.
0: Oh wow.
1: Um, you know, like the, the steroid kind of, inhaler daily and all that kind of stuff just to not have to live off of like the albuterol and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And, um, and when I was 18, I took a Buteco class. Have you ever heard of that? Oh yeah. Yep. Totally. Yeah. So I took a Buteco breathing class and his whole thing was you should eat with your, you should, you should breathe through your mouth as much as you eat with your nose Mm-hmm. right and, exactly. and it was it and it's like i've got a deviated septum i've never done anything about it i want to do something about it at some point i will but it forces me to be a mouth breather and so actually when i was 18 i started taping my mouth and oh, at nice. night. and uh i'm not religious about it i don't i'm not like a hundred percent all the time but i've done it forever a hundred percent the three the, the, the medical tape definitely falls yep. off of the beard quite often um but i'm with you it noticed a Drastic difference. And then, even just consciously thinking about it, right? I think that's the other piece of it, too. Yeah, exactly. It starts to train your mind, it starts to train yourself, and you're thinking about this to actively be. Because my thing with my deviated septum, it's still really difficult to do activities and breathe through my nose, right? I can't like Mm -hmm. run or bike and exclusively breathe through my nose. But in theory, you should only breathe through your nose, filter, temperature, all these reasons, right? uh, you know, perfect amount of oxygen and, 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 uh, and carbon dioxide, all this stuff, right. Um,
0: not carbon dioxide, you, you know what I'm talking I love about. That, Dr. Andrew Huberman. He has this, he has this great saying, he basically says, look, you should only be breathing out of your mouth when you're talking or eating. That's it. Otherwise yep. you should always be breathing out of your nose. Yep. Yeah.
1: And so I, I, I completely understand it. Uh, but it's I I. I saw such, like that mental shift happen, right? So like when I am just doing normal day-to-day stuff, I'm trying to breathe through my nose as much as possible. And, and so I'm curious from the marketing perspectives and things like that, right? Because now I now I consciously know the benefits of it. Through so mm-hmm. much, right? If you want to exercise, like when you're exercising, you could use a hostage tape, right? You could yep. use it, right? Just going to bed. That's the kind of obvious one. Your story about snoring, that's a, that's a problem and a solution, right? But I'm curious kind of in the marketing efforts, as you've acquired customers, you know, are you, which angles are you usually trying to go after with it? But then also yeah. as you're going after those angles, sort of my follow-up question to that is, you know, are you looking for those people that sort of have that aha moment? Or are you still having to do a little bit of the education play to, to I guess, to convince them a bit with it?
0: Yeah. So for the, for the angles, so we, we do a lot of testing, um, like a, an ad strategy that we use is I actually do a lot of simple traffic ads and I blast out traffic ads to find out which, which hooks people respond to, which angles Mm -hmm. people respond to. So I've got my guys, my team every week, we're constantly testing different hooks and different angles, just using Mm -hmm. a simple traffic ad. So a good tip out there for anybody, that is confused about how to test. I mean, even I didn't test for the cert first, you know, eight months of running ads. So you just take a simple color background and just put a hook on there, put a bunch of hooks on some different color squares, like, you know, like an Instagram type style square, and then just run a, run some traffic ads and just do like, you know, um, till you get like a, we typically do like a thousand impressions of, uh, traffic ad just to see like all right how good of a click through did we get on it and then we know and the angles that work by far the best for us are the relationship angles Hmm. so the ones that relate to people having issues with their partner not being able to sleep in the same bed not feeling connected to their partner those are the ones that really resonate with people like it's not even close whenever we do these like yes we'd love to be able to certainly use a hook that talks about snoring or sleep apnea or bad sleep, but it's almost like those are just, they fall into the into the background and people ignore them because it's just, nah, but relationship. So when we use a hook around relationship, those crush for us. Absolutely. And then we just use a, we send everybody to a listicle style lander. And so certainly there's an education piece of this, right? And pretty much everybody we're marketing to is cold, right? But we don't have such a high AOV that people don't look at it and go, hmm, I don't know, and then they'll come back a week later. It's a small enough AOV that most of these people are seeing it for the first time, and they're making a purchase. If we've done a good job of removing the obstacles, which is what we do on the listicle. So once we send them to the listicle, this listicle typically it's a five reasons why kind of a listicle and then we try to hit what are all the major obstacles that people have when it comes to maltape, which usually there's a fear component to it of people are always like oh, am i going to wake up am i is this going to kill me you know we're leaning into those you have to actually call them out you call out what people are afraid of so it's it's one of those kind of counterintuitive things that most people go Oh, don't mention it. Don't talk about it. Or like, try to go in the other way. No, you have to lean into it and actually go to it and address yeah. it and say, I'm sure it seems like you think you're going to die. Right? I'm sure you feel like that. So you actually call it out, call out the fears, call out these emotions that people are feeling. So we try to do that in all these different areas. So low, we're lowering each one of those objections that we, we know everybody's going to have. So then when they get to the bottom, then we have an offer like a pretty cool offer that we have some urgency on. If they don't want the offer, they can certainly click in and then go to our PDP page and take a look at some of the other options that they've got.
1: Cool. I love it. And I love like thinking about FAQs that way too. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of brands miss the opportunity to make their FAQs objection handling
0: yeah queries,
1: totally. right <laughs> and it's such a great way I totally agree with you handle it head on and and I think, being cheeky with it and having fun with it is actually a really great way to go about it if you ever want a really great example i think dbrand does an amazing job of it where they you know i think on some of them i've even seen like should you buy this and then they're like no you should spend your money you should invest your money in in the (laughs) stock like some ridiculous thing that is telling you not to buy their product but they're like but you still will and you can have fun with it and be cheeky about it. And I I think think that's right. Yeah, there's
0: a, there's an element of humor that I think it's really hard to find the balance of humor and seriousness so that you communicate to your customers. Like we don't take ourselves too seriously, but in all seriousness, yes. And our product in particular, because of the health related product, it's harder, I think, for us to try to find that balance of how do we kind of be funny, sarcastic, yet still serious because people yeah. are thinking, "Am I going to die?" Yeah. No, use and, this product. So. Yeah.
1: No, and and it's a serious thing. I mean, it's depending why they're purchasing the product. You know, it's it's a, it could be you know it's a serious thing, right? Like, I mean, to your point with the snoring, a lot of people have tried a lot of things, and maybe they use the nose strips, for example. But the nose strip doesn't matter if you're still breathing out of your mouth right like so like they could have tried a lot of these things but then it's like oh i don't want to try another thing that may or may not work and you know it's it's a sensitive subject right i think a lot of people uh yeah i I, I don't know i I, well people
0: feel hopeless i think the best word is when it comes to sleep issues people feel hopeless and they don't Mm -hmm. know what to do so yeah
1: yeah, no, I I agree, and and so I'm curious. Just a lot of success really quickly. What are some of the growth levers? You know, maybe two or three growth growth levers that you've been pulling in order to have such great success.
0: Yeah, so I think certainly branding has been huge for us. We did a great job of putting together just a really interesting brand that goes against the norms. It's different and it stands out. It's again very liquid death like, and it gets people's attention. And we purposely did it to get people to either love it or hate it, and that's okay. There's there's a lot of hate, and I've got a I've got a, a team. I call them the raiders, the moderators. <laughs> I've got a team of people who they're standing by, and we certainly we monitor all of our ads, everything, and and we get rid of all the bad stuff, right? I think that's a mistake that a lot of A lot of business owners don't do is they don't monitor their ads well enough and they're not actually getting rid of bad comments because look there's a lot of people out there who are just going to say dumb stuff Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it's right Mm -hmm. but they're just going to do dumb stuff because it's social media and they can hide behind the veil and just say whatever they want and don't realize how it affects this guy who started a business with all his money and he's actually seriously trying to make a difference right yep so we do a pretty good job of that. And so branding, number one, number two is just product market fit, having a great product. And you know, we feel great about the product that we've created. We spent a lot of time perfecting it, getting it to where it is now. And the reviews I think speak for itself. When you go to our page, look at the reviews and just look at what everybody says about it. Now, is it going to work for everybody? No. Certainly not every product works for everybody. There's going to be some people who might say, yeah, it didn't really work for me. You know, that's okay. But for majority of people, it's life changing. And I think that's the most common word people use is this changed my life. Uh, And then thirdly is just Facebook. It's truly understanding my numbers enough to be able to scale Facebook just right. And I've been scaling Facebook very, very heavily uh, over the last, especially over the last four months or so. It's hands down by far the best channel. I think it's the best channel out there for anybody, really. Um, and, but for us in particular, it's been our biggest growth channel, our biggest lever. And I just keep reinvesting money back into it and growing it bigger and bigger and bigger every month, but it, you know, every, it, everybody's different. It's got to make sense. You got to understand certainly your numbers, but for us, that's been, uh, the biggest one.
1: Yeah. I, I agree with you on the meta side of, of things. It's definitely one, you know, I could pick out a couple businesses here and there that it's not necessarily a fit for, but 98% of businesses right. out there. Yeah. It's usually the best channel. I mean, to argue, they've got the best algorithms, even though google's got the best ai i think facebook still has the the best algorithms
0: well it's different too right like certainly there's a different intent when you use google the intent's completely different and it's i would say this yeah if you were running a business and you needed to start doing you have to do facebook and google you have to do both because yep. everybody's using google and you have to capture that intent of people going and searching for something like what you're offering versus, yep. yeah, when you're on Facebook and Instagram, people just know that they're going to see ads. So they're already conditioned to be seeing ads. And if you make really cool, good ads that are captivating and interesting, you're going to get conversions.
1: Yep. And, and, and they're used to clicking too, right? I think that's a big right. one, right? And we're looking at multi touch attribution. I know you're into this as well. Something like TikTok, a lot of people are still searching the brand. They're not actually, you know, there is clicking through things like that. Common. That's why I think Tiktok struggles,
0: right? Yep. yep. Cause I think it's a, it's a, there's a pattern. There's a behavioral pattern of how we use Tiktok. I don't, I don't, we don't use Tiktok expecting to see an ad to then click on the ad and then go to a page and maybe buy something. Um, unless it completely blows you when you're like, holy shit, this looks amazing. Like, wow, yep. I gotta get this. So,
1: yep. And, and so I'm curious on the flip side, what are maybe some missteps or, you know, hard lessons or maybe some oh, yeah. landmines that you've, you know, stepped on that others following in your footsteps might benefit from hearing about?
0: All right. So the biggest mistake that we made was the very first inventory order that I made, I was not clear enough. In the order, and we made a mistake. So the first like ten thousand units were wrong. No, oh. so they got sent, and I pulled them out. I'm like, all right. I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't right. There was something wrong about it. So there was. The point is, is when you're ordering your product, your inventory, you need to be very detailed on every. Like if you think you're being over detailed, like don't you need to be very detailed in all of the different pieces about it and then it's okay to like confirm okay let's just make sure we did this this and this right and you can just triple check it and because then once you've you've got that groundwork and those expectations laid with your manufacturer then you don't have to worry about it so much because if you're making the same product over and over again then they just, we just all know, okay, good, this is it. So that was where I screwed up. And, and the product, the first, that first version of the product wasn't what the first product was supposed to be. So it was a subpar first version that came out, but we just had to kind of roll with it at the time. and And so then we kept improving it after that. And really hammered home to make sure that the quality control of the product was the best it could be. And that was hands down the biggest mistake that I made that I learned from. So now where I'm all over. That's why I still to this day run the the inventory and ordering and making sure everything is where it needs to be. And and then we've even got a new product coming out. We've got no strips uh, that we've just released so, uh, but the and then I, I would say another one is there were there's a there's a ton of elements of Facebook you know advertising that you learn and that was something that for me the the debate for every every business owner is do you hire an agency or not right when should I hire one should I hire one and it depends you know it depends on what your skill set is I know for me. I hired an agency early on just to learn and get an inside look at what do I needed to know. So I wanted to hire an expert that could help me learn, right? Because I knew that I wanted to be in control of it. Because for me, I'm an entrepreneur that likes to be in control of what's going on as much as I can be, especially if if I'm funding this with my money, right? Um, and so this entire company has been funded with the, the capital from my first exit. And so I and I knew that the amount of money that we'd be spending on Facebook, like this company was going to be made or broken by Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. So I just knew, OK, I'm going to have my hand on this and I'm I need to be. I need to have complete understanding of what's going on because I'm not just going to sit back and let some agency I hire dictate the success of my company because they don't have everything in it like I do. So I learned, and then I eventually got rid of them because I'd learned enough to know I know what to do. But even then, once I got started and I was doing it, like it took us the longest time to get video. So for the first for the first 8 months we didn't use any video because we couldn't <laughs> figure out we could not figure out the right formula of video that worked uh it could and really only recently within the last like 3 months did we finally really get our content rolling the way it is now like if you go now look at all all our social media we've got we're pumping out like five pieces of creative every day on everything and a ton of different mashup style value add type type videos and Ben does a, he does a phenomenal job with the team and all that, but we didn't have that for the first eight months. So I was like, what do we do? And we couldn't, we couldn't figure it out. We couldn't yep. get it to work. Right. And so certainly I would say that that's, is an area where an agency can come into play and help where they kind of know what works or they've got experience in a bunch of other things that know, okay, well, if we tried this, this, this could work. So we were just doing static images for the first like eight months. Um, Hmm. And so I would say that it's, it's the kind of creative that we were using. We, we could have, if we could have learned a little bit sooner then I think the success of our, our Facebook ads could have been better, but I will say this. We literally came out right after that whole iOS debacle. So all I've ever known was post I was 14. <laughs> Great
1: start. So I didn't start.
0: know how good it used to be. Like this was <laughs> normal for me. So I feel like we started running ads when it was all awful. Yep. So I kind of wonder like, would it have really mattered? I don't know, but I basically went through the front lines. I got all bloody, you know, I, I learned all the good things and bad things you do and don't do. And then we've came out the other end of it. And Um, I've come up with a, a really unique Facebook ad strategy that I don't think anybody else is using, but I've studied a lot of, a lot of high spenders and put together a pretty interesting strategy now that I've got my team running that, uh, allows us to scale really, really well. So.
1: Interesting. Um, do you want to.
0: Yeah, the we can talk about any
1: it. of it. Yeah, yeah of course, I, Of I, I course, don't... everyone's at the edge of their seat, and they want to know as much as you're willing to say about this yeah, strategy. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, okay, so my biggest issue as we continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger was scaling, and like most people, scaling ad sets becomes problematic because if you scale them too big, right, they become unstable. And then they just fall apart and then you have to try to figure out a new ad, new strategy, whatever. So I kept running into that, that problem of, okay, well, I've got a, I've got a campaign and, and then I've got all these ad sets. Um, And at first I was trying to target with target audiences and stuff and it was okay, sort of working, but then you, you hit on an ad set and then you start scaling it and then it just falls off a cliff within a few days or a week or whatever. And I knew that with how big we're going to get and how big we were going to be scaling, like this just isn't working. I can't keep increasing spend wondering when the shoe is going to drop and the ad set's going to just die. And then I got to figure something else out. Like this, That just doesn't scale to get to, to where we're at now because now we're doing seven figures a month right i knew i couldn't get to this point any other way so i had to go study the guys who are actually high spenders spending this amount of money because it's a it's a completely different strategy when you're media buying at six and seven figures a month versus when you're just doing a couple hundred bucks you know a month or whatever completely
1: different strategies you're in different auctions everything
0: yeah totally and so I started to go do a ton of research on what these guys were saying and there's not a ton of them out there to to find. And so I really had to dig. So when I found them, I started listening to them and I started to pull a few things out that I went, okay, this is what we're going to do. So we came up with this strategy where what we do is, um, we create a, blocks of campaigns. So and we do in blocks of 5000 and 2500 bucks. Cuz it was it was a pattern that I started to see of guys talking about how the bigger the campaign is, the more dollars it spends, it's actually less efficient they get. Because then Facebook's trying to just force spend, force you to spend 20k a day and it becomes way less efficient. So I went, okay, we need to have campaigns that are spending less money during the day so they can be more efficient. So I said, okay, if I know that I'm going to get to a point where we're spending $700,000 in a month, and then eventually a million dollars in a month, I can scale that easily. If I just know that all I got to do is add another block of 5,000, a couple more $5,000 campaigns, right? Or 2,500 or whatever that might be. So I'm scaling by just adding another block, another campaign. And all these campaigns are just, CBO campaigns with one ad set in them and I'm using a three, two, two, and I'll give credit to Charlie Tishner for this one. Um, Charlie's the professor on Twitter. He gave me the idea of using the dynamic creative three, two, two method, which is using three pieces of creative that are sort of similar, right? So three use, three videos that are kind of similar. Maybe you move a few things around, but not three different pieces that are completely different, but so three pieces of creative and then two different headlines and two different, um, uh, descriptions or, or whatever, right. Primary texts. And then really leaning into that dynamic creative, which I'd never done before. Right. And, and then we'd really started leaning in abroad. So we do not do any targeting, at all. It's all broad. Now, certainly look, if you're only spending a hundred bucks a day, you probably can't do broad probably doesn't work. Okay. Yep. But we're doing upwards of right now we're doing 25 grand a day. So we're spending more than enough that broad works amazingly well for us. And so we really leaned into going broad and then we actually target only males in the United States. And then, the dynamic creative method. So what we have, our architecture in the account is, I think we've got like five or six campaigns, right? They're just CBO campaigns and they each have one ad set in it with a dynamic creative in it um, with those. And now with all those dynamic creative pieces, we used traffic testing to find out which one to put in there. So we did a bunch of traffic ads to find out which hooks were the best, which, um, primary texts were the best, which videos were the best. And we're also using, because we pump out so much content, which videos are hitting the best organically. And then we put all those in there. Right. And, and so that's the strategy. Again, it's, it sounds kind of weird. It's not something maybe most people think about, but it's, it's purely designed to help us scale and keep things stable. So I know that, let's say I've got a campaign that's rocking at you know, a two plus row as, and I'm getting a, for us, uh, an NCPA of 20 bucks is, is good. That's like where we want to be $20 CPA, you know, at, at least a two row as is like ideal. So if we're rocking that, what I'm not going to do is jack the spend up more because then that's going to make it unstable. So what I yep. instead do is reset go, learning
1: okay. phase, all the, everything else.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're spending as much as we are, like the learning phase literally like doesn't exist. But Yeah.
1: Yeah. But you, I just learned phase is like but still all of the things, right?
0: Yeah. Instead, we just create another campaign which may have that same creative in it or we might just take it a different approach of creative. But we're just adding a another block. Maybe it's 5,000, maybe it's 2500. Usually what I'll do is if I know one's good. I'll use 5,000 as like an anchor. Like, all right, we've got a couple five thousands. So those are the good ones. And then I'll use a 2,500 block as like a test. Like we don't know if this will hit. So let's try 2,500, uh, like a day and see if that one hits, see if it works. And they, um, and that's how we scale it, man. And then obviously when we launch those, usually they'll, they'll normalize within a day. I mean, they'll, they'll blow through the learning phase literally with, you know, in a few hours, but then they'll, um, they'll get through it and they'll start to normalize within a day or so. And usually they get better as time goes on because they're using dynamic creative. And then with that dynamic creative, it's finding the, the best combinations that work well with people. And and we're also in that dynamic creative, what I've noticed is we're using I'm using two different calls to actions also. So I'm using a learn more and a shop now call to action because what we found is sometimes there's there's certainly some people respond better to one or the other. Everybody's different. But then also there's some creatives that lend better to one or the other. Like we saw one piece of creative that the the more organic podcast style clips we would use. They did better with a learn more that led to a purchase conversion versus mm-hmm. another video that felt a little more salesy, a little more ad like did sure. better with a shop now and then led to a conversion. Right. Yep. But, um, but yeah, so then we just, we just continue to, we monitor those. We look at our, our CPM that kind of tells us, all right, Facebook likes it or doesn't like it. Cause for us, Some of the stuff that we do is a little bit dicey. So we find that our CPMs are a little bit higher than normal because if there's a video with a guy with tape on his mouth, Facebook kind of looks at it and goes, Ooh, I don't know I think we get penalized (laughs) a little bit for it. So we'll look at the CPMs and see kind of how they're sitting. And then we'll look at click through rates and then certain, and and then certainly after a day or two, we'll see, all right, what is the, the, uh, um, you know, CPA, what's that look like? for us and, and then we may or may not cut it um, and then create another one. And then I'm actually real big on one day click. So a lot of our stuff is one day click. Cause I look at it like our, our AOV is right now it's around 50. And I look at that as a sweet spot for, look, a lot of cold traffic will can look at this and they'll convert when they see it. It doesn't take seven days to convert when you're at an AOV at that level. So I lean more on one day click than anything, but then I'll also throw in some seven day, one day views in there too, just because I know there's more data that it can pull from. And especially because these are campaigns that will live a lot longer than normal. Sure. Who knows? And so we're playing with that a little bit on, on having the few, but we're more one day click than anything.
1: Yeah. I, I like that. And, and so then when you determining to kill, you just
0: keep them running or when do you
1: determine to kill like your campaigns off then?
0: So for me, like we have our benchmarks. Like I said, if we've got a, a ROAS target, I'm not, I'm not a huge. Charlie wouldn't like this. Charlie always, if you've ever, if you follow Charlie at all, he, he uses the term fuck ROAS." Um, as row is a, is a bad term. I'm not big on ROAS, but at least helped me understand like first order profitability and cash flow. I know that if I've yep. got a good ROAS, I've got more cash flow coming in and I know that it's possible that I can have a good ROAS. So I would rather certainly have that than not. Yep. So I'll look at ROAS, but then the CPA um, and and then I'm looking at CPM and then click through. So yep. all those things will might tell me, all right, these are our benchmarks guys. This is what we're looking for. And if something gets way out of whack then and it, and if it's way out of whack for more than a couple days, then I'll kill it because I'm looking for, because we're scaling so big for so long, I'm looking for efficiency, right? I know yep. that, okay, even though this might be getting sales, like, like we'll have a campaign that campaigns that do hundred to 200 conversions a day, like that's kind of the ballpark we're in each one of these. So even though it did 100 conversions that doesn't mean it's efficient and that it's actually going to scale long term so i might kill it because i know that well the cpm is double what it should be so it's going to be super inefficient and my cpa is going to just get creamed and just yep. not be good over time yep so i'm looking at that kind of a those kind of things and then we're using triple whale certainly to help make sure that everything looks good the blend of everything looks good and then Helps me make smarter decisions when we do cut things to know. Sure. Um, but Facebook, their data is way better than it used to be. So I am yep. trusting the data I see in as manager way more than I was.
1: Yeah. And and I like the the what you mentioned about agencies as well. And I think it's an important thing to maybe just touch upon for two seconds because I mean, obviously, I run an agency. I'm gonna just say that Fetch and Funnel is the best agency out there, off selfishly, of course. <laughs> but I think it is an important thing, right? And I agree with you. Like, actually, when we grow a client to such a success that they feel, you know, the need to build an in-house team, like that's a win for us, of course. Like, we could still maintain them, and you know, there's pros and cons to both of those, um, right? But uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that that's always kind of like a win in my eyes, right? Because it's like, they're like, hey, I can have this team now and it makes sense and et cetera. But even when you're in the early days, to your point, you probably need an agency because you're not an expert. You don't have to necessarily become an expert, but I think it is really helpful for you to, to learn some of the basics because just every agency is not created equally and there's just so many more bad agencies out there than good ones, unfortunately. And so then it's you. if you don't know what you don't know, there's no way for you to tell if they're doing a, a good job or a bad job. And so I think at least if you know a nut, right? I, I have this one client who's a doctor. He was a you know, mechanical engineer. The guy's just super smart numbers guy. So he learned Facebook kind of in and out, but he doesn't want to touch it. He doesn't want to run it. He doesn't want his team to run it. He doesn't want to have a, have, figure out how to h- hire the right media buyers in order to do it. But he's still like the most analytical guy, <laughs> one of our clients, right? Looking at the campaigns and everything, and I love it because I'm like, hey, I like it, right? You're holding us accountable, you're holding yourself accountable, all this stuff, right? I I love that. Um, so I definitely or- encourage people to learn it, you know. It's, and it's- I think it
0: matters too. Like, okay, you give a great example of you've got a guy who's a doctor and probably runs a practice. He's got enough on his plate that he, a guy like that, doesn't care. He probably doesn't want to Run his own Facebook ads and he doesn't, he wants way less to do with it, and that makes sense. Whereas somebody like myself, no, I want to be in the thick of it, I want to have my hands and all of it pulling the drawstrings because I am spending so much money in it, and I, that's just the way I'm made, right? Yeah,
1: so it yep, depends no, on I mean- On you, yeah, yeah, and and his whole business is online education, and so actually, his whole business like lives and breathes by Meta, Um, because we we like you know doing good on YouTube, Google, a few other things, but it it, it's still like eighty percent of his business, right? Right. So yeah, he still kind of lives and dies by by Meta these days, but um, but I I like your strategy. I think the other thing that a lot of people don't talk about as well is especially when you kind of get in those upper spend levels is running some. Uh, brand awareness campaigns till because the brand awareness campaigns actually can get a significantly lower cpm to your point of sort of the cpm struggle of purchase campaigns where you could get like two dollar cpms, one dollar CPMs. Okay. You get these video views for super cheap, retarget those video viewers, right? Um but you there there's like a certain I, threshold though that you spend threshold and everything else so you have to yeah. make sure.
0: I just heard this this strategy that I just started today. To, to this and the idea was there's a strategy to lower your cpms and it was to use an awareness campaign not a, not at some like huge large levels but it was to use a a small awareness campaign right just to have it be running and then for somehow what it does is it helps lower cpms on all of your other campaigns and I've never heard this before cause I don't usually run any awareness at all. Yep. Um, I, yeah, do, there people is, I do actually run, this is another strategy I do. That's kind of weird, but when I do retargeting, I retarget our, um, people who have bought one time for us and haven't subscribed yet, I retarget them for sure. And then I'm retargeting, uh, people who've gone to the our PDP page, mm-hmm. but I retarget those people with a reach campaign.
1: Yeah. Super smart. Cause then you can right. tackle. Yeah. Then you can handle the frequencies. Yeah. Exactly. And you don't oh, care. Yeah. And I'm, I'm yeah. hitting
0: them every day, every day. Yep. And then, cause then super I know smart. like, well, I don't need Facebook to, to figure this out. It's everybody. So yep. totally. And that's, I think that's a hack that a lot of people don't know, but, um, yep. but I've never done a flat out awareness campaign until today. I just, it's great. It on and, and,
1: and we've actually found for a bunch of clients, that almost like in that fifteen percent of, but yeah. it depends on AOV. So I'm going to say this very delicately, yeah. but fifteen ish percent, right? Below that, like wasn't enough brand awareness. Above that, is too much brand awareness, mm-hmm. right? Because your brand awareness campaigns, like usually, are not going to give a great CPA, great ROAS, right? But right. we found that actually it reduced our CACs across all campaigns. Yeah. And and in some instances, in some, we've got one client right now of around a $90 average order value, kind of one-time-ish purchase for the most part. And it's actually the highest <laughs> highest ROAS campaign month to date right now, I know. I, I just was looking at their metrics the other day. Um, But I think it's because the CPMs are just so low in comparison, right? Like the the click-through rates are lower, the CPCs are actually kind of a little bit high, like all the numbers are so much lower that even though the conversion rate is so much higher, uh, sorry, even the conversion rate is so much lower, right? Because the brand awareness campaign, not a conversions campaign, but because the costs are just still so much lower, it's still producing like a higher ROAS than the purchase campaigns.
0: So what kind of a daily are you typically doing then on that awareness for those? Did you say
1: 15%? Uh, 15% of like the overall budget essentially.
0: Okay. I got you.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if we're spending, you know, $1,000 a day, whatever, right? 150 or so to, to the brand awareness campaign. Yeah. We did a whole, like we analyzed it across a bunch of clients. Funny enough, we actually submitted this strategy to the shorty awards last year and won a Shorty's awards kind of related to this campaign for the books company, which is a flower company. And for them specifically, we found for their brand, it was like the 15% spend threshold that like it just reduced our cac Hmm. like for the entire account um and and like in that account we would drastically scale up and down for certain months because it's flowers so there's certain months seasonality right mother's day valentine's day that you just want to yeah full blast
0: i'll say i know i've always had that i that thought of like okay should should we maybe be doing it because for the longest time, you know, your the Facebook represent those Facebook reps are always saying, oh, we do some awareness campaigns? And we're always like, <laughs> No. <laughs> but in a product like ours, where there there can be an educational component to it yep. sometimes, or just on awareness, because yep. the idea of mouth breathing and mouth tape, majority of people are like, say what? Like, huh? So yep. I have wondered, uh, so we'll see, I guess we'll see if this actually accomplishes the mission of lowering the CPM. Um, I'm not spending 15% of my budget on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. To- yeah. Work up to it, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and, see what happens. But I think the other thing too, especially, but depending on the product, depending on how educational you need to be, it's an amazing opportunity to be able to do multi-step Videos as well, Mm -hmm. which, like, we love to do, right? Where you can do one, maybe first is the problem mentioning, right? So for you, I could see it working so well. And you, I know you already have a lot of these apps, right? But like, first the problem mentioning. So then, how are you going to solve the problem, right? So you're mentioning the problem, saying that there is the solution. Then, and you can run like a brand awareness campaign around that. And it doesn't matter because you're getting these crazy low CPMs and you're just bringing up this product and, and the problem to so many people for such a low cost. And then of course you retarget everybody that watched 95% of that video or whatever into a second video, same thing. You could run a reach campaign or a video views mm-hmm. campaign or whatever. And then second video is the workhorse. That's more of the product showcase then you can do a third video message from the CEO, tells why you know they built the product, how it's going to help them solve the problem, all that kind of stuff, right? But that's when we're doing meta, YouTube, all different places, kind of like the right. multi multi video strategy, and it and it works really really well too. So yeah, tip, tip to the audience to to be thinking about that stuff because I like the video view campaigns had this really big moment a few years ago that everyone was excited about and then everyone kind of forgot about them for whatever reason and of course just focuses on purchase campaigns only. (laughs) Ren rightfully so
0: (laughs) you know it's amazing Uh, how so when we do we do these traffic campaigns, right? It is mind blowing how we'll do a ton of traffic campaigns to test the hooks. Right. And we'll we'll get some crazy click through like and we'll send them directly to a landing page just like we would send them on a conversion campaign, like the same landing yep. page just to like for shits and giggles to see like, all right, yep. let's see if this actually does anything. You know, we'll get 10 plus convert or a 10 plus click through rates on some of these. And we're getting, you know, like on some of our testing, we might get 50,000 people to like to click on some of the stuff just because of volume of what we're doing. Yep. And, The conversions, like the recorded conversions, it's like a couple, right? Versus when we run a conversion campaign and we're doing, you know, a thousand conversions a day. It is just amazing how big of a difference that is. Whatever Facebook's doing, however they're targeting people, it is amazing.
1: I mean, they just know, right? They know the click happy people. Like I I click a lot, but I don't buy a lot.
0: And so Facebook yep. just knows,
1: get a traffic campaign in front of Samir. He's going to click that thing. <laughs> and yeah. for me, I love it because I'm always analyzing pages and websites and looking at CRO and ads and just I'm funnel hacking in my brain. <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, Facebook, I mean, they just know. That's why I say they've got the, the greatest algorithms. And if you think that you're smarter than the algorithms, you're just sort of fooling yourself.
0: So, predictable. Like, yeah. The, the fact that conversions are so predictable with Facebook, like the fact that we can scale and put up and know that we're going to get a thousand conversions a day and it's just like clockwork right now. And then when I want to push it up to 2000 a day, I can do that. It's just amazing. You can't, yeah, but I, yeah. you can't do that with anybody else. Like I can't predictably do that with Google or anybody else.
1: Well, yeah, and you think because I mean it makes sense, right? There's a pixel on almost everybody's website, so Facebook knows I've bought, you know, a Sony camera. I've bought a camera bag. I've bought a couple tripods. I've bought a, we a microphone. So they're like, oh, awesome, Samir's a camera guy. We know we can get some camera crap in front of him, and he's going to get by it, right? So, yeah, I mean it. It makes perfect sense. I'm I'm curious what. What are some tips that you think e-commerce businesses can do to stay relevant as opposed to just following trends? Cause I feel like you've touched upon that a little bit or danced around it. A little so, bit.
0: So you're asking me what brands can do to stay relevant without just doing a trend. I would mm-hmm. say the content strategy. I, I talked about that earlier. And that's probably one you're getting at is yeah. so certainly yes, there's a place for putting out some content that does a trend, you know, like, yeah, you've got Nicolas cage in a car, looking at a guy going like, you know, whatever his name is like, that's a trend on TikTok right now. Um, and many other trends, but those aren't evergreen. Like you can't run that video for the next 12 months and it's not going to convert, but what does convert, what does stay relevant is actually having a good content strategy of figure out a process where you can start to create video pieces content and it's video i mean let's just be honest like video reels uh shorts all that stuff you need to be doing that you need to put a strategy together some process together that works for you that you can repeat you know continue to do every day or every other day or whatever schedule that is for you but then keep it consistent so you almost reverse engineer all right what can i do how much money can i spend how can i create a predictable, repeatable content strategy, right? That works for you. And then just you do it and it's going to get old. It's going to feel redundant, but you just gotta keep doing it and doing it. And I think, you know, what a lot of people don't know is, I think YouTube's the greatest example of this, where when you actually watch the growth of YouTube creators, you look at it, their first like 12 months, it's like this, most of them, most of them.
1: Yep, but super then after flat. 12
0: months, because they're continually doing content and they're continually doing it, they'll finally go like this, and then they start to take off. And it's just the amount of time and consistency that you put into it, and that really goes for every everybody. Now mm-hmm. TikTok you used to be able to get away with not necessarily doing that; you can get lucky. But they're getting they're getting more like YouTube. Their algorithm has been changing; it's getting more YouTube like. It's you want longer content now. So I would say figure that out. Figure out a good content strategy that's repeatable that you can continue to do uh, week in and week out that can help your brand in some way. It doesn't have to necessarily be you know ads, but there could be an educational angle, it could be an entertainment angle, it could be a combination of them that you find and figure out. So
1: love it. Uh, what advice would you give other founders that are trying to break through certain revenue marks, 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, whatever it is, what advice would you give them?
0: I would say know your numbers, right? I think one thing that that I do that I've always done is, so this is my second startup, but in my first startup and in this one, what I've always done is I create a, a working PL. So I've got a PL sheet that I've got all my numbers in it and I always understand every aspect of my business. So especially when you're in DTC e-commerce, it's so dependent upon what you put in and then get out, like immediately. Like the amount of money I want to spend in a day on Facebook, I have to know how much can I put in and then how much I'm gonna get out, and then what does my cash flow look like so then I can keep doing it the next day and then the next day and the next day. So I have to have a Great snapshot of what that looks like and then how that looks over the next six months to a year. And so I would say have a have a PL sheet that you know is in front of you that you can look at it every day, and you can always see how things change and adapt and work, and then you understand what numbers are important for you. For some people, like me, I run a subscription business, so certainly my CAC. Right. My CPA is important as well as my LTV as we continue to get bigger and we're around longer. Right. So understand your numbers, know what that stuff looks like, know how you can then scale that. Right. And continue to, to get to where you need to be. And then also the uh, the product. Right. Um, make sure you get a great product. Make sure you, uh, you make it the best product experience that you can because if you've got a great product and you're marketing a great product then it's gonna take off right uh, I, Another thing I will say is support. So I come from a, a business of having great support and actually having people provide support and I think one of the one of the biggest things that e-commerce founders always forget and don't do and they wait until the last minute is to to have support but it's putting, putting in a good framework of having support people who are handling your complaints, your returns, all that stuff. You got to start that early. Yep. Right. And then you forecast what that looks like. Like I've got a, I've got a whole couple rows of, I know that as we continue to get so many orders across the, the year, I have my scale of how many agents, like we'll have 20 agents by the end of the year. Right now I've got uh three and i know how many we'll have next month the month after that and so forth um and what that looks like because it takes time to bring an agent in have him learn the ropes understand the right way to do it and there's an art also to providing great support you can't just throw somebody behind a desk and say all right answer these (laughs) these issues there's a right and a wrong way to actually help somebody who's really pissed off because they didn't get their order three day that they paid for. Right. So.
1: No, and that's, that's perfect. I mean, it's three super important pieces because if you have this awesome product, you market it right. Then you're getting the customer acquisition part, right. Focus on customer service and support, taking care of the customer. Now you're supporting the customer lifetime value, improving that. And then if you know your numbers, you may find out that you can pay more to acquire a customer because of the LTV and everything else. And as both of those improve, yeah, you can just scale both directions.
0: (laughs) Then it doesn't feel feel so bad when you're like, because I remember the days of like, oh, my God, I'm going to spend $5,000 today on Facebook ads. (laughs) When you know your numbers, you can feel good knowing that, oh, yeah. I know. Even though we're spending five thousand dollars, like I know what we're gonna get back and what that cash conversion cycle looks like and how you can continue to move forward and you can feel great and you can sleep good at night, right? Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um Alex, I really appreciate the time. Last question: anything that you're reading lately that you'd recommend?
0: Um, nothing I've read lately, but here's a book that I recommend every single entrepreneur and person out there read it's called never split the difference by chris voss
1: great book uh awesome recommendation we talked about a lot of really awesome stuff customer acquisition strategies kind of advanced facebook stuff a couple creative strategies love the listicle idea ton of great content uh, I recommend probably some people might have to go back and re-listen to this episode because I think there's a lot of really good nuggets, uh, you know, in between the margins here, Alex, again, I, I, I really appreciate the time. We have a link to, to hostage tape in the description. I re- certainly recommend people to check it out and, and, and give it a whirl. I'll try to convince Alex after the episode to give us maybe a coupon code or something like that. So yeah, Alex, I really appreciate the time.
0: Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Don't let bad sleep hold you hostage. Love it. Thanks again.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Scaling with Samir. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. We also have snippets of these episodes on YouTube. Scaling with Samir is sponsored by Fetch and Funnel. We've partnered with hundreds of businesses and generated over 500 million for clients using our trademarked Fetch and Funnel method. If you're trying to scale your business, get in touch with us today at FetchFunnel.com. You can also get content that you can learn and apply directly into your business to improve results and scale on our email newsletter. If you are a successful business that is crushing it and would like to be on this program, please visit FetchFunnel.com slash podcast guest. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.